If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter number 11. We looked last week a little bit about whether or not God was done with Israel. Paul asked the question and and he gave the answer and in, in some way it was kind of a rhetorical answer, a rhetorical question even though he answered it himself. But today he's going to ask another question. He asked in verse number 11 of chapter number 11 of Romans, he says, I say then have they stumbled that they should fail, fall. And again he gives an emphatic answer. God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. You see, what what has happened here with with Israel is there's no denying that Israel has stumbled. They'd stumbled many times in the Old Testament. They'd stumbled severely in the time of, of Paul. And they continue to stumble today. But there's a big difference between stumbling and falling. How many of you have ever stumbled and then caught yourself? How many of you ever fallen? Did you stumble? You didn't catch yourself. I was working in the backyard last week and and just kind of stepped in a little low spot in the yard and I stumbled and then I fell. And it's a big deal when I fall because that's a lot, you know. And I I, mean, I hit hard. I hit hard. I'm laying there on the ground. I'm like, did I break something? And I'm you know I, I start doing inventory. You ever do that? You do inventory like it was started at the bottom. Did I hurt my ankle? No, my ankle feels fine. To break a knee? No, my knees feel fine. Landed on my shoulders. My shoulder okay? Feels good. Hit my head. Am I, am I unconscious? Or, no, I'm good. I'm going through this whole inventory. Then it dawned on me, V's working in the yard also. And all she heard was, boom. And I'm not moving because I'm taking inventory. So she had rushed inside to get the life insurance <laughs> policy. I had to stop her. Tell her, no, no, I'm fine. You see, I stumbled and I fell, which I rarely do. I stumble a lot. I'm, a, I'm just a stumbler and a bumbler. I stumble a lot, but I actually fell that day. So Paul is asking, well, well, Israel has stumbled. We can't argue that point. Israel has stumbled. But does that mean they deserve to fall? And he answers that, God forbid. You see, the problem with, with Israel and the problem with a lot of us today is they allowed themselves to become so callous to the gospel. They've allowed themselves to be so calloused to God. And calluses, as we live, as we get older, we tend to get calluses. Not just physical calluses, but emotional and spiritual calluses. We get hurt, and so we put that wall up. We build those calluses. But a callous on a man's heart, a callous on your heart, a callous on the heart of Israel doesn't mean that the story is over. It means there's a problem that needs to be dealt with, but a, a callous or a stumble doesn't necessarily mean a fall. Every man can repent and turn to Christ and be restored. It's not too late for the nation of Israel. Israel can repent and be restored. It's not too late for America. America can repent and be restored. It's not too late for you or for your neighbors or for your loved ones to repent and be restored. The callous is not final. The callous is a problem. Israel has stumbled. And here, what Paul is talking about specifically is they stumbled over Christ. You know, we get to look back at the Old Testament and say, well, well, they've gone 100 years without hearing from God, and then they start to stumble, and we can kind of relate to that. 
Because after, after so many generations, you're not hearing from God, it gets to the point where, well, is he even listening anymore? But God sent his son to live and work and walk amongst them, to teach them. And they rejected. They stumbled. You said they, they almost purposely stumbled. But is that a that idea of a permanent stumble, does that mean that, that, that Pilate, because Pilate stumbled huge, right? Well, he was Roman, not necessarily part of Israel, but was it done for him? No. He still had an opportunity. We see many other people that, that Jesus Christ came in contact with that stumbled at his word. But we don't see the final result. Now, many of those, I think, probably did end up in hell. But there's going to be some that we're going to see in heaven. There are going to be some that even though they stumbled, they didn't necessarily fall. Paul had a forceful response. He says, God forbid. God has overruled Israel's stumble over Christ in three different ways. One, he took what should have been a horrible situation. And see what it said there in verse number 11? But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. You see, because of them stumbling against Christ, it opened the world to Jesus Christ. It opened the, the gospel more predominantly, more directly to the Gentiles. God took something that looked horrible. His people rejecting his son. And he turned it into something good. He turned it into something positive. He opened the door of salvation to the entire world. The Lord's message went to Israel first. But now it's dispersed throughout the world because of Israel's stumble. Isn't it encouraging today to know that repeatedly through the word of God, God has taken something that looked horrible, looked like the end, and turned it into something amazing. I watch movies. I, I like watching movies, and I'll watch the movie, and I'll tell my wife, I'm like, something's going to happen right at the end. There's going to be a twist that we're not expecting. The Bible is full of those kind of twists because here, Jesus Christ came to earth. The Jews rejected him. Very few followed him, truly followed him. They came out for the miracles. They came out for the food. But there were very few that actually followed him to the cross. Few stood up after the cross. You say, well, Israel failed. God took that and there was a twist at the end. God says, you know what? Now we're going to take the gospel of the entire world. It was the logical thing to do. The message of his son was at stake. God, God sent his messengers throughout the world. God worked all things out for good. Then notice that the last phrase there, in verse number 11, for to provoke them to jealousy. Who is the them he's talking about here? The Jews, Israel. You see, because the Israelites now, they're looking and seeing the powerful things that God is doing in the Gentile world. They're seeing the flourishing of the gospel. They're seeing those that are willing to lay down their lives. And they're taking notice. And not only are they taking notice, they're jealous. Now they want it. Now they want what they, gave, what they rejected. He's stirring them to be restored. And God assures the glorious restoration of Israel. Verse number 12, it says, Now if the fall of them be be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, 
how much more their fullness. God assures their glorious restoration of Israel and a rich period for the entire earth. The earth has become blessed, not, not just through salvation, the earth has become blessed as a result of Israel. Even in their disobedience, the world has been blessed through the people of Israel. The spread of the gospel has had an enormous impact. We've seen, even in Israel, a large number of Jews returning to Christ. And when that happens more fully, when we see the nation of Israel truly humbling themselves before Christ, we're going to see a revival across this world like we've never seen before. Because God will continue to bless the world through Israel. Verse number 13 of chapter number 11. It says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For the casting away of them be the reconciling, reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Paul's attempt to, to stir the Jews to be saved. He says, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an apostle, I'm a missionary, I'm a, I'm a preacher to the Gentiles. He understood his position, he's talking to, to the, the Romans here. He's talking to that church in Rome here. He says, but his hope is, and his desire is that, that as, as this grows there, that it may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, my people. His desire, even though, he's a, even though he's an apostle to the Gentiles, his desire is still for his people. I think we can relate to that, right? I can't tell you the number of times that I'll have somebody that's serving here at the church and they're serving faithfully, they're winning souls, they're doing things for Christ here, but their heart is broken for their family. Their heart is broken for their coworkers. Their heart is broken for those that, that they meet with every day that have rejected the gospel. And this is where Paul's at. Paul's like, I understand I'm a, I'm a missionary to the Gentiles. I understand I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. But my heart, my desire is that my people will humble themselves and turn back to God. Paul wanted the haste in that day of Israel's restoration. The more he could soften those calluses, the more that he could preach the gospel, the more that he knew that he could break through those calluses, the more that he knew that that day of the restoration of Israel would be hastened. Paul understood what he was doing. He wasn't just out there by, by blind faith. He understood God's plan. He understood that what God was using him for. And he was all in to be used that way. Verse number 16 says, For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Israel's forefathers, that is the patriarchs, passed down a heritage of holiness. That heritage of holiness came to the people of Israel and through the people of Israel. They knew it. And so with the first fruits being holy, Paul is reaching them, trying to tell them that because the first fruits are holy, they can be holy. There's always a, a big emphasis in the Old Testament on the first fruits. Something I think we may have lost sight of over the years. When there was a harvest, or there was a slaughter, or there was some type of financial gain, the first part 
went to God. The first fruits. Too often today we, we, we do our budgets and, and whatever's left over, that's what we give to God, if anything. It should be our first fruits. People ask me, should I tithe off my net or should I tithe off the gross? Which one's your first fruits? Unfortunately, we've set up a system here in this country, an unconstitutional system, that takes the first fruits of our salaries and gives them to who? Government. And we allow it. We walk lockstep. We don't even consider it at election time. And so we're left scrambling, well, do I, do I tithe off of what is left or do I tithe off what was there before the government took their 20%? What, which do I do? Well, you're tithing off the first fruits. It should be given to the church before it's given to the government. But like I said, we've set up an unconstitutional and unholy union with our government where we allow them have the first fruits. They, they have taken the place of God in our finances. They've taken the place of God in, in many ways. And we wonder why it's so dysfunctional. We wonder why our government is so broken. We've made our God our government. We had tornadoes that ripped through Mississippi and Alabama and other places this weekend. And the first cry that came out was what? How's the government going to help? All the newscasts I saw, I didn't see anybody crying out to God. I didn't see any churches stepping up. I didn't see anybody in the area doing anything except we're waiting on the government. We're conditioning ourselves as a, as a people to rely upon the government for everything. Something goes wrong, we have to rely upon the government. Something goes right, we give glory to the government. The government does not have the ability or the desire to fix your problems. They can't bring you joy. They can't bring you peace. Only God can do that. And yet we go to God, we go to God second, maybe. Usually we go to the government, then we go to ourselves, and then we go to, to God. But throughout the Bible, we see that principle of the first fruits. The first fruits belong to God. The first of everything that we have, not just, not just our money, the first fruits of our time. Everything. Now, I hope and I pray, based, based upon what we talked about last week and the week before, about that remnant that still exists, even in the darkest of cultures, there's still that remnant of God that still exists there. All through history, we've seen that. And I, I hope and I pray in a whole fast of that, that there is still a remnant in those communities that the first thing they did was cry out to God for restoration. But we're not seeing that. All we see is, what's the government going to do? What's the government? How's the government going to fix this? Government can't fix itself. But we rely upon it for everything. But the first fruits. So Paul is saying because the first fruits were right, in other words, because they got the first step right, then there's a chance that they can get more right. Their foundation, their patriarchs, their first fruits were correct. They were right in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel was founded properly. 
It was founded by godly men throughout the generations. And of course, they did lose their way several times, but there was always godly men, judges and prophets, bringing them back. And because of that, there's still hope for Israel. The second picture there of the the lump, in verse 16, it says the, the root. The lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. The second picture there is that of a, of a tree being planted, the sapling being offered to God. When we plant something and we, we dedicate that tree to God, we don't have to go back and dedicate every branch that comes out of that tree to God because the root was dedicated. And with Israel, the root was dedicated. And as they, as they grow, as they come out, they have that chance of holiness. They have that chance of producing fruit. We've all planted things from time to time that didn't produce fruit. It usually means they have a bad root. There's something wrong with them. But a root, even if it's got a good root, even if there's damage, it can still produce. We had some storms that came through. We used to have a, a grapefruit tree out here. It would produce a little bit of grapefruit. Not a ton, but a little bit out there by the shed. Some of you remember that. Remember we had that storm that came through and what it did to that tree? It put it on its side. The root ball was actually above the ground now. And we're like, so I'm looking, I'm like, well, nobody can really see it back there. We'll just wait for it to die. It'll be easier to cut up and deal with instead of trying to cut it up while it's all moist and everything. But you know what ended up happening? Because it had good roots, even though it was damaged, it continued to put out fruit for years. Until finally it just got too old to put out fruit. Why? Because it had a good root. It was a strong tree. It didn't look like much, but it produced fruit. Remember, it did produce more fruit than we could deal with after the storm. It actually produced more fruit after the storm than it did before the storm. For several years, we had full, abundant harvest of grapefruit. Probably the worst citrus fruit that there is. And we had a lot of it. I worry about people that eat grapefruit. My wife will get up in the morning and eat a grapefruit. I know, right? I'm sour enough as it is. I don't need any more of that. But we have the picture of the root. The root is holy. So are the branches. This is a a, a great picture. We're going to look more about root and branches next week, by the way. We're going to take a little little break from Romans and and talk about root and branches next week because it's important. It's a a topic and a theme that God talks about a lot in his word. The branches aren't any stronger than the root. The roots are important. We're going to look at that next week. What Paul is trying to say is the, the root, the first part, refers to the patriarchs again, the fathers of Israel. By merit of its patriarchs, by merit of its fathers, they have a root of holiness. That holiness is still accessible to them. That ability for Israel to turn back, he's trying to point out the fact that just because Israel has stumbled, God's not necessarily done with them. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can still accept Christ as your Savior today. But let me tell you something, Christian. As a Christian, you're going to stumble from time to time. You may even fall occasionally. But when you stumble, when you fall, that's not the end of the story. God's not done with you yet. If your root is in Jesus Christ, restoration is available. Now, if your root is in yourself, 
or if your root is in the world, or if your root is in happy thoughts and puppy dogs, you may not get back up. But if your root is in Jesus Christ, you have the ability, you have the power to get back up. That same power that took the shackles off you in the first place, that same power can pick, that picked you up out of the mud can pick you up again and put your feet back on solid ground again. You can be restored. Your stumble, your fall, isn't the end of the story. If you're here and you've never stumbled as a Christian, we got to talk after the service. i got to know how you're doing it. Because like I said, I stumble all over the place, not just on the ground. I find myself, how did I get here? God's like, you stumbled. Got to get you restored again. And he picks me up and puts me back where I got to be. I spend more time stumbling, I think, sometimes than I do anything else. Stumbling and restoration. Over and over, we see that pattern through the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. We see it with God's people. We see it in, in, with his disciples, with his apostles. Look at the life of Peter. Peter turned out to be a, a great, powerful preacher for God. How many times did he stumble? Remember when God let him walk on the water? He stumbled in the water. How do you stumble in water? Peter did, and he started to sink. He's there with Jesus in the flesh, sees Jesus walking on the water and says, let me do that. And Jesus says, come on. He starts walking on the water, and he stumbles then. But what happened? His root was in Jesus. So the stumble wasn't the end. He didn't drown. He lifted him back up. When Jesus is going through the mock trials and going from the, the, the Pharisees to the Sanhedrin and back and forth and, and all these thieves, all these false accusations, he's there. He's watching. And somebody comes and says, hey, aren't you one of his? And what did he do? Not me. I don't know that man. He stumbled. And then he stumbled again. And he stumbled again. And then what happened? He repented. And he was restored. Why? Not because power, Peter was this powerful person. Peter was, Peter was like this way, that way. He was all over. He was an emotional wreck. But his root was in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many times you've stumbled. It doesn't matter how badly you've stumbled. That's a pretty bad stumble when you're in the presence of Jesus and you look at him and say, I don't know him. That's a pretty big stumble. People have lost their lives because they refuse to do that to save their own life. Peter was doing it to avoid an awkward conversation. Possibly the end of his life. But he was restored. And he was restored and became a powerful preacher of the gospel. Thousands accepted Christ because of him. Because of him, his willingness to let God restore him. His willingness to let God use him and speak through him. So I don't know what you're going through today. But I, I can almost guarantee you that if you haven't stumbled recently, you're going to be stumbling at some point. And when you stumble... That's not the end of the story. God can still use you. Not only can he use you, he desires to use you. It's a picture that he's painting here for us. 
Yeah, this goes beyond just our godly influence or just between our influence of, of uh, our relationship with God. Think about the, the picture this paints for parents. The forefathers of the nation of Israel planted a root, nurtured a root. As parents today and as grandparents today, we have that same opportunity. Understand, your kids are going to stumble. They may even fall. But because the root is there, they can be restored. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children until the third to the fourth generation. Where we plant our root and how we plant our root, it matters. Moms, dads, your sin is going to be paid for by your kids and your kids' kids. You say, well, my, my sin doesn't affect anybody from me. Nobody, nobody even knows that I'm doing this. It just affects me. The Bible says it's going to affect your children and your children's children. But the other side of that is true, is, is, is also true. That as we, as we strive for godly things in our lives, we're digging a deep root. That root is, if that root is foundational in, in Jesus Christ, it'll pay dividends in our children and our children's children. You know, maybe some of them stumble and don't come back, but they have the option. You see, we can't, there's nothing we can do as parents that can 100% guarantee what happens with our kids. That's hard for parents to understand and realize. But by having a godly root, we give them the option. There have been a lot of Jews that have died and gone to hell since the patriarch's time. A lot of them. A ton of them. Probably more than have gone to heaven. Almost guaranteed more than have gone to heaven. But each one of them had the option. I'll talk to people that today that their parents weren't godly parents, their grandparents weren't godly parent, grandparents, and they have no idea of Jesus Christ other than a curse word, other than something to use when, when they're scared, a name that they cry out. They don't even know who he is. They don't know Adam. They don't know Eve. They don't know Noah. They don't know Moses. They don't know any of the patriarchs. They don't know any of that because their parents made a choice not to tell them. Now, Thankfully, we worship a gracious God that it's not over for them either. But how much easier would it be for the child that at least has a working knowledge of those things? How many times have we, have we heard from somebody who, who was raised in church but just didn't have any time or use for that thing until they got to be about 30? And they're like, you know what? They probably won't admit it out loud, but they start saying, you oh, know, my parents were right. And they, they probably still won't follow their parents to church, but they'll go someplace else to another church. Because that root is there. They, they at least have the ability to make a decision. And as we share the gospel with our kids, we share the gospel with the world, that's all we're doing is we're giving them the information to be able to make a decision. If we're not out there putting in roots, if we're not out there telling people about Jesus Christ, particularly our own family about Jesus Christ, they don't have a choice. 
It's too heavily swayed to one side. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago? How are we going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear with what? Without a preacher. Parents, you're the preacher. You're the one that has to tell them. You're the one that has to give them that. So that when they grow up, they can choose. They can choose whether or not they want that root of Jesus Christ or they want the world. We at least owe them that, to give them that. Leviticus 26, verses 40 and 42 says, If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also walk contrary unto them, and have brought them unto the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and will and will and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land. You see, there's there have been promises that have been made in the Bible, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentile people, to all mankind. And we have access to those promises. It's not that God owes us anything. But he has made his promises, and he keeps his promises. He keeps his word. But did you see the key there? We have to humble our hearts. We have to humble ourselves before God. We have to, we have to repent of our iniquities, our sins, and the sins of our fathers. We have to turn away from those things and set all that stuff aside and accept the punishment of the iniquity. When we're willing to do that, I will remember the land. And I'll remember my covenants. God has made his promises. He's made you a promise. If you're here today and you never accepted Christ as your Savior, he's made promises in his word. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll save anyone that's willing to call upon the name of the Lord. Calling upon the name of the Lord is is simpler than I'm going to describe it. But in essence, it's that. It's humbling ourselves and repenting of our sins and turning to Jesus Christ. When we're willing to do that, we're willing to turn away from our sin and turn to him, he's willing to restore us. He's willing to give us that new root. Maybe you're here and you've stumbled. Maybe today's the day that you go back to God and you say, God, I've stumbled. Don't let me fall. Restore me. Put my feet back on solid grounds. Take me out of this mud, off the sand, put me back on solid ground.